Hello and welcome to the St. Emlyn's Podcast. I'm Simon Carley. And I'm Rick Boddy. And today it's another can. Critical appraisal nugget. So these are short, well, I hope it's going to be short, short podcasts to bring you up to speed with various different aspects of critical appraisal. Some of it's geared towards the exam, so things like the FR Chem exam in the UK, but actually if you're reading literature you should know about this. And I'm quite excited today because we're going to be talking about something which is absolutely essential to emergency medicine and which we should all understand really, really well, and that's diagnostics. So, Rick, what's our can for today? We're going to talk about the basic design of diagnostic uh, test accuracy studies. Um, we're going to look at the format that we might ask the question in, the research question, and we're going to talk specifically about reference standards or gold standards. Right, so there's gold in here as well. Mm-hmm. Golden learning, golden standards. Okay, tumbleweed. They'll leave that. So, questions. Now, we do research questions. We think we've done this before, and certainly done it on the blog, that questions when we're doing an intervention, people will be very familiar with things like three-part questions or PICOs, four-part questions. So, the presentation, the intervention, the control, and then the outcomes. But diagnostic tests, when we've tried to do that, it doesn't kind of fit a lot of, a lot of the time. So, you know, is this test better than that? It, it doesn't quite fit. So, there's a better way of phrasing this. Yeah, so you could think about it as a PICTR question, P-I-C-T-R. So the P is still your patient group, but instead of having your intervention, the I now stands for index test, and that's the new diagnostic test that you're studying or evaluating. You still have a comparator, so the C is still comparator, but then instead of the outcome, you should be thinking about the target condition, that's the T in PICTR, and that's what you're trying to diagnose. And then we also need to think about, well, how do we know that the patient has that target condition? And that's what R is for. The R stands for reference standard. So population, index test, comparator, target condition, and reference standard. Fantastic. So let's just explore those in a little bit of detail. Patient population. It's really important that when you evaluate a diagnostic test that you do it in an appropriate population. We've hammered this one before, but you cannot... You can't test a new cardiac marker in patients in a cardiac clinic and then expect that to work in the emergency department. You can't test a new test for epilepsy in a tertiary neurosurgical clinic and expect it to work in general practice. Lots and lots of reasons why that is, which we won't go into now, but population is so important. And for us, we want, usually in emergency department, we want that pragmatic group of patients who come to the door. So in what group of patients would I use this test in? That's, that's kind of broad, but it's pragmatic, and that's how I want it to be. Yeah, I think that hits the nail on the head. We should evaluate the new test in the population that we'd use it in in practice. And that's really important when we look at things like uh, restrictions, about exclusions, about the type of population, the age, the demographic, the location, the type of emergency department, all of those things are really relevant and we, we want to get a really good grip of that when we're designing a trial and when we're doing our critical appraisal. We, we actually need to read that bit of the methods really very carefully. One, one way of selecting your patient group would be to tell the people running the study actually exactly who you want. So if you're running a, a study looking at acute coronary syndromes, for example, you could say, we want you to include patients with central crushing chest pain radiating to the left arm. The limitation of that would be that that's not who we use the testing in practice. We have all of these patients with non-specific symptoms that we would use the test in. So actually the key is I think to get that population include patients in whom the clinicians suspect the diagnosis that you're after, whatever it is that makes them suspect it. 
on that chest pain thing, I think some of the studies that we did a long time ago uh, seem to remember the inclusion criteria was patients who present with chest pain, which may be compatible with myocardial ischemia. That was it. Yeah, exactly. And you're leaving it up to the judgment of the clinician. Do you suspect that diagnosis or do you not? So fantastic. So that's the P that's really important. The index test. This is the new one. This is the one that we're interested in. What do we need to know about that? Well, we need to know how it was applied. So if it's a troponin test, we need to know the details about the timing of the test. Because if they take the test six hours after arrival, it's going to perform a lot better than it would on arrival. We need to know the conditions under which it was undertaken and were those appropriate conditions for the use of that test? How were the samples handled, for example? We might need to look at the training of the investigators. So if this is an ultrasound study, were they very highly trained niche clinicians who have got a real interest in this particular technique? Or were these everyday emergency physicians? We need to know something about that. And if it's a clinical test, we need to apply some of those same principles again. So how were people trained? How was it observed? How did they assess the value of a clinical test? Something things like the elbow test, you know, for detection of fractures in children. What training was, what their inter-observer variability was, what their intra-observer variability was. So what's the reliability, the validity, the reproducibility of that test itself is really important. You can do that for clinical stuff, and we use various different tests to do that, and we can do it for laboratory-based tests as well. We need to know, understand the variance in the laboratory as we do understand the variance in clinical practice as well. Exactly. So instead of looking at inter-rater liability for a laboratory test, we might look at precision, for example. Exactly. So there's still, again, there's quite a lot of detail there. We can't just accept the index test was done. We need to understand it. Okay, where do we go next? Well, then there's a comparator. And sometimes there's a comparator that, we, that we're looking at. Sometimes there's not. So this new diagnostic test might just be something that we'd replace the reference standard with. So it may be that uh, instead of subjecting everybody to a CTPA, we could simply do a blood test and rule out a pulmonary embolism, in which case our only comparator is against the reference standard, so we can ignore the C. But it might be that we are using something right now and we want to know if this new test could be better. So it could be that we're using the Timmy Risk score for chest pain and we want to compare it to the heart score, for example. And neither of those are actually the outcome, so we'd still need to have a reference standard later. Exactly. They're not the reference standard. It's the two tests that we're comparing against a reference standard. Okay, so I've got that in my head. So we've got the comparator. Where do we go next? Let's talk about the target condition now. What are we trying to diagnose? Well, that's an easy one because most of the time you go, I'm in trying to diagnose this. But actually, what is a diagnosis is a really interesting question. It's probably a whole other podcast in itself. But for instance, at what level of a certain metric do you consider this person has had a diagnosis of? In the old days with troponins, it used to be 1, and then it was 0.05, and it was 0.03. Those thresholds changed over time. You may think that the target condition is quite a simple thing to consider, but actually, when you think about how we define that condition how severe it might be, and also even the the nature of the condition. Uh, There are so many complexities. So are we trying to diagnose, for example, an acute myocardial infarction, or are we trying to diagnose an acute coronary syndrome? And if so, how might we define that? So one of the things I'm really interested in when we're looking at the target conditions is that it's a meaningful diagnosis, so that on that diagnosis, I would act, I would do things differently, it would change my management, it would be better or worse for the patient. It has to be patient-related. I think that's really important. Yes, absolutely. Totally agree. That's uh, the crucial thing about the target condition. And now the reference standard. Now, the reference standard, sometimes referred to as the gold standard, is 
our measure of whether the patient does or does not have the target condition. Yes, and I really like the fact that this is included in that PICTA acronym because it gets us to think about how we know whether the patient did or did not have that diagnosis. And again, isn't that really obvious? No. <laughs> exactly. You would think it's really obvious, but it's not. You've really got to think through the detail. So if it's for uh, pulmonary embolism, our reference standard might be, for example, a CTPA. Okay, well, a CTPA is okay, but a CTPA does have a false negative rate and a false positive rate. So it's not the be-all and end-all of everything about whether or not you can see something on a CT scan. Yeah, that's right. So it's not perfect in itself. And actually, if I come in with my chest pain, I'm worried whether I've got a PE. Yes, I want to know whether I've got a PE, but also I want to know whether that's a risk for me in the future. So the diagnosis itself is a proxy for my health care and my health progression over time. And you could argue, and some people do when you're talking about reference standards, that we are interested not just in whether they've got the diagnosis, but whether that has an implication later on. Which is why I think in some, say, thromboembolic studies, they look not just at whether you've got a CT diagnosis, but also whether you have another PE or another thrombolic event in the next three months or six months. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And so it gets quite complicated. And another issue to think about is that the reference standard is imperfect. We, we, we accept that now, right? But sometimes the test that we're studying is actually better than the <laughs> reference standard. So we had this with troponins, didn't we? We did. So when troponins came in and we were previously using things like CKMBs and liver enzymes and stuff, then the troponin would perform much better, which would have the implication that actually the new test will look like it's not so specific, for example, because it's, let's say, high sensitivity troponins picking up more MIs than contemporary troponin, which it does. Well, those new MIs that it's picking up will automatically appear as false positives if contemporary troponin is your reference standard, but they might actually be true positives we can't detect that using that old reference standard. So that's one of the reasons why, in particular things like cardiovascular research, you use a combined reference standard, don't you? So in a lot of the research you've done around troponins, it's not just whether or not they've got markers at day one, but it's more about... Yeah, what happens to the patient in the future, which comes back to those outcomes again. And then just a final point on why we might need those outcomes going into the near future. Sometimes the reference standard is quite difficult to apply to everybody because one of the principles of a diagnostic study is that every patient you include should be subjected to the reference standard investigation. And if you don't have that, you have verification bias. You don't know if they had the condition or not. You can't assume they didn't. They didn't have the reference standard and it causes a problem for your study. But this becomes quite difficult when you've got something where the reference standard is invasive or unpleasant for patients. So let's think about subarachnoid hemorrhage, for example. Our reference standard might be a CT scan plus an LP 12 hours later. And the LP is thought of as a standard of care, but not everybody in your study is going to get it during the course of their routine care. So should you subject them all to it? Should you make them have a lumbar puncture just for the sake of the research? Well, if you do that, one, people won't consent. Two, it's questionably unethical. It's unethical. <laughs> so now you can't really subject all of your patients to the reference standard. So what are you going to do? Well, you can have a surrogate. And that's where you can follow the patients up over time. And what you can say is, if nothing bad happened during this follow-up period, 
then we can consider that the patient didn't have that diagnosis. So there's lots of examples of that, Ahmed, um, that people may be using clinical trials and clinical tests that use that. So people may be using all sorts of clinical diagnostics where that's actually taken place. So, for instance, the head CT rules in children were developed not by doing a bigger study and CTing every child, but CTing a proportion of them with high risk and then following up through health records, through coroner's records, through neurosurgical records, any child who didn't have a CT at the time who may have slipped through the net. There's lots and lots of examples of why this is important. And often when it's about some form of invasiveness, appendicitis is another one. A lot of the studies in appendicitis, well, the gold standard is the appendix in a pot going to the lab. Well, you can't do that for everybody, particularly in the ones who you don't actually think have got appendicitis. That is definitely unethical. So it may make your study feel less perfect if you see that. But zipping back to pragmatically what matters to you as a clinician, it kind of makes sense. So I'm, I'm happy with those, so long as the reference standard makes clinical sense to me as somebody who'd be working in the emergency department. You've got to be a little bit pragmatic is the word when we're appraising studies. Okay, so let's just run through those again. So this is not a PICO, it's not a three-part question. If we're thinking diagnostics, if we change it slightly to a PICTA, that's going to give us a much better approach and a structure to doing our critical appraisal and also our research design. So just run us through it one more time. P is for? Patient group. I is for? Index test. C is for? Comparator. T is for? Target condition. And R is? Reference standard. Marvellous. And if you want to sound cool, then call it a reference standard, not a gold standard, and people think you know what you're talking about. But actually, you'll hear those two terms interchangeably put out there. Yeah, that's right. It's just a little bit harder to say it's a picked question. (laughs) Thanks very much for that, Rick. We'll have some more cans coming to your way soon. I think we'll do a bit more on diagnostics. Sounds good to me. Okay, see you soon. See you.